2: Crag of the high points, wind-swept coastal field sun-baked by day, by night cast white by lighthouse flash. Older still, the low road hewn by untold boots, rock rolled down in the salt air carved in long S's, to the glow of the bay bathed by that smuggler's rest. The moon underwater. a time to be in the moon underwater and what a view out of those beautiful bow windows because robin it's the pageant i love
3: the pageant yeah
2: it's the eve pageant with hastilude melee and pasta arms all as far as the eye can see
3: did you see the pasta arms yeah, well, I didn't. was always unclear what a pasta arms is. Is that is that like pasta arms? Pasta arms, like are, are pasta shapes in the shape of arms?
2: No, not really. It's a sort of it's it's a joust swain's move
3: oh, okay. when the
2: jousters are, are, are back the horse, and they have their uh, pasta arms before the lady of honor, of course. And what's the hostiliary or what, how de billier? Uh, Hastilude is a sort of um, a more um, traditional term for pageantry in general, really. Right. But it was lovely to see the Lady of Honour. She looked beautiful in a dress made entirely of daisies. Yes, yeah, she did. It was a bit like Florence Pugh in Midsummer, though. Yes, it was, but without the sort of dark edge. Yeah. Uh, it was a much more joyful occasion. And just nice sun shining down on uh, the bunting, the flags, the heraldic symbols in many ways. Yes, there was. Did you get involved in any of the stalls?
3: Yep, yeah, I've been at the garlic stall all day. I thought I could smell something. Yeah, still working on my Stinkies recipe uh, as a bar snack there um uh, not many buyers to be honest
2: okay well fair enough it's it's a work in progress it's the perfect pub snack it is it is you know it's the sort of uh, r&d stage isn't
3: it research and development
2: yeah researching the garlic developing the garlic and also the the deep fry sure yeah yeah i'm getting
3: high on my own supply as well
2: but i don't think we could pick a more perfect. Day for our guest this week to come, and I believe the crowds are parting now as he comes amidst a mighty steed. The steed, he's not on it, he's amidst it, sort of swirling in and out of its mane, forelocks, and stirrups, <laughs> like a sort of haunting a horse in his own unique way.
3: Haunting a horse is a lovely phrase, John.
2: Into the pub walks the one and only Mr. Al Murray.
1: Hello, Al. Good day to you, fine fellows. I'll just—I'm just getting off my horse or out of my horse. (laughs) Get out of this uh, fine animal.
3: It's a bit like the Revenant, isn't it? Yes,
1: maybe that is it. Yes, maybe. Yes, I've staggered here, the half-dying horse. This is a terrible image. It's a bit like you can have Godfather—you
3: wake up with a horse, or Revenant—you wake up in a horse. (laughs) Which would you rather?
1: Uh, The the latter.
3: Yeah, same. <laughs> this
2: day, this pageant day, will forever forth be known as the day when two landlords met. Yes, because I mean, you are a a comedio historico landlord. You you've got many faceted strings to your wonderful bow, and and actually, you can you can pop the bow on the bow rack over there because uh, we had that installed for you. Thanks very much. But best known, I think, to many
1: as the pub landlord. Yes. Um, uh, you haven't asked me where's your pub yet. You know where's your pub, mate. Where? How long were you a pub landlord before you became a comedian? How do you fit this around being a pub landlord? Um, well, my dear friend, um, it, it is a, it's a, uh, it's an act. And then we get into sort of a difficult explanation sometimes.
2: Well, <laughs> we're two people who sort of f- fell in love with the pub so much that we just made our own. I've made one in my mind. You've made one in. Probably every theatre and comedy club around the country at some point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to say, before we get before we get started. I I, I want to say, John, I am um, I'm hu- hugely in awe of your proselytising for the for the sweet pleasures of the of the grain and the grape, and your your um, <laughs> unabashed uh, celebration of the simple comforts of just about the right amount of alcohol. I've been thinking about before we before when you invited me I've been thinking about how do I tell John how much I love your attitude to drinking and your public embrace of it. We're supposed to not like booze, aren't we? We're supposed to shun it. We're supposed to want to put it aside and not have it in our lives and yet you hold it close. It's quite beautiful. Oh, that's ri- that means
2: a lot coming from you, man. And I should say that like my own relationship with alcohol has been under severe review over the past few months. But, like, in terms of the pub itself as a place, I think it's it relates to... And we sort of talked about this perhaps more in the early days of The Moon Underwater, but it relates to a kind of hinterland. And that doesn't have to be anything to do with drunkenness or aggression or violence. It can be something really positive and inclusive. And it is also distinctly British and distinctly Irish as well. But it is a certain thing that we have that you don't get elsewhere quite in the same way. You get other versions of it. You get other sort of forms of celebration and coming together around alcohol.
1: I mean, without being, I mean, without getting too far into it, it sort of feels like a democratic idea. I like the idea of it's a public house where all men and women are equal before the bar, you know, it's, there's something, there's something so, obviously that's an ideal, but there's something so charming about the sort of platonic ideal of the pub where you come to the bar and you're all, you're, you're all worth the same as one another and, Choose your drink and go from there. It's a beautiful notion, I think, and I, I know I, I know I sort of crash about doing my absurd pub landlord thing. You know, like he likes the idea of sticky floors and saloon doors and all that. But, but there is this—that's where it came from. That, that that sort of feeling. There used to be a pub around the corner from where I lived in Tooting that was basically an idyll. You know, it was like everything you could possibly hope for from a pub in a. It was gorgeous. Probably not there anymore. Do you remember the name? Well, it was the, it was on Mitcham Road in Tooting. I used to live off to- Tooting Broadway in the house of Stuart Lee actually for about. I lived with him for about eighteen months, two years or something. Uh, he never washed up, <laughs> <laughs> or he just
2: washed up the same plate again and again and again and again.
1: Well, again and again and again until it became funny. Yeah, and, the, and, the, and he would eat all the margarine. That was the other thing. He'd always eat all the margarine. But um, but, but, but there was this. I think it it may well have been the. God, I can't remember what it was, but it was like one of those sort of double-breasted 1920s Deco super pubs with lots and lots of rooms and space and a carvery. And and it was always one of those kind of places that felt like a like an ideal, literally like a platonic ideal of what a pub should be like, you know, like perfectly appointed bar and beer and snacks and and the people, everything about it. But I should go back, really. I mean, Tooting's, that was a long time ago, it was 30 years ago. Tooting is now... Sort of hip and has microbreweries in the in the Broadway Market and all that stuff and sushi bars and all the sort of all the unimaginables from the early nineties. But um, you know, I should go back and have a look. So, was the pub landlord originally based
2: on a kind of half awful, half affectionate view of the sort of landlord that perhaps you don't quite get in that way anymore because that character has you know started off as being a reaction to a certain type of britishness that has probably now almost come full circle and is parodying the same thing again
1: yes it's been a, it's been an extraordinary uh, mobius strip of um, topicality the act in essence hasn't changed because the subject hasn't changed it's just it's it's you know the modes of transmission are different now in 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 our culture than they were 30 years ago so yeah you know yes it, you're absolutely right but but really with the, with the emphasis on Kind of affection because I think otherwise you end up sort of being snobbish and sneering at at, at that that kind of pub life, which actually I've actually got a lot of time for because again it comes back to the idea if you come into a pub, it's where everybody doesn't know your name is the other value of a pub. You don't know you can be a perfect stranger in a pub as well, which is also like a real comfort, the comfort of strangers in pubs. There's so many things going on in in a pub in that way, and yeah, so yes, affectionate but also like fine affection for the some of the ridiculous things that people end up saying and doing in the name of patriotism or, you know, it's it's next-door neighbour nationalism. I, I don't know. Have you found that, say, in the past sort of five
2: years, you know, in the sort of post-Brexit, post-Trump world, <laughs> have you found that's a new opportunity for the pub landlord or have you had to be quite careful not to end up with the wrong crowd, if you know what I mean, if
1: there is a wrong crowd? You always run the risk of a wrong crowd, you know, there ain't nothing you can do about that. I, I can't make windows into people's souls and know why they're laughing at anything they're laughing at. It's just, imp- it's impossible in the end. So that's a thing I've never particularly worried about. And also I've always got enough sort of booby traps built into what I'm saying, that if if someone's laughing at, at it at face value, which is the often the sort of thing that gets said, the, the idea of face value. Well, the face value is that the, you know the face value can be the pub landlord thinks the theory of relativity is great because it explains why fat people are always late right because they because the <laughs> time moves differently around heavier objects right and anyone who's laughing at that because they agree with it <laughs> yeah 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 you know, you know what I mean so i so I try to build build those kind of those kind of tra- booby traps in so I know i'm you know the thing's working properly in that regard, but you know you can't you can't pick people why. People laugh at you, and you can't pick why people think people are laughing at you as well, which is the other, which is the sort of one after that. And then you you can't pick what people say to you about Twitter about the thing they've read about someone saying what they think of you, despite never having seen you. You know, and uh, all those things.
2: So many layers to the onion of the pub landlord.
1: It's certainly an onion, yes, <laughs> and, and <laughs> yes, uh, but but I don't know. I mean, when I did ran in the 2015 election in in uh, South Thanet you know, against Nigel Farage, but also against all the other candidates because that's how it works, people. There were some quite funny people going, I never thought you'd ever do anything as unpatriotic as this. You go like, what? (laughs) You know, what, what? What have you not been paying attention? And some poor lad who argued with me late into the night on my Facebook page when I used to do that sort of thing, going on about how it must be a young woman writing these updates because there's no way Get away from the computer as quick as you can. He's manipulating you. So really mad stuff. It's really, fan- really fantastic. And the conspiracy theories around me at that time were very entertaining. And actually inform the, you know, you can write comedy out of those because they inform, a mi- they inform you of a mindset. You know, I was apparently I ran in Thanet in 2015 because I'm David Cameron's cousin. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. <laughs> but but you so- leave that to Sibber on a... On a UKIP message board, and it becomes or, or other message boards, it becomes becomes true. You know, <laughs>
2: how much would Al Murray the pub landlord's dream pub differ from Al Murray's
1: dream pub? Well, you know what? There's a, an awful lot of crossover because you know that we're after we we want the same thing. We want comfort and company and uh, solace and a ploughman's lunch and. You know, pork scratchings. There's 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 enough there's enough crossover that we both want the same thing. But maybe I, I want it to be you know more mellow, mm. <laughs> and I don't want the football on. You know, but 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 beyond that, I you know there's a, there's an awful lot of crossover because I do have a romantic idea of what. Uh, what a, a, a and a British pub can be like because I don't I don't buy that it's just English as you said uh, or, or even you know of these islands because you, you uh, earlier on you alluded to Ireland Scottish pubs if they're if you f- get a properly fine tuned Scottish pub it can be, there can be no one more agreeable to be it's the truth so what was your sort of early pub experience when you were growing up well I went to school in Bedford I went to boarding school in Bedford. And we could sign out on a Saturday night, and they, I'm, I'm sure now they're all electronically tagged, people at, at <laughs> boarding, boarding schools, and you know, and geolocated everywhere they go. But you could sign out, and there was a pub called the Ship, which is right in the middle of Bedford, where we would all go and drink underage. No two ways about it. I'm not going to get it shut down now by saying that. 35 years later, or even longer ago than that, but we would fuck, fucking hell, 40 years later, nearly. But we would, get, we would go and drink there underage and a pint of Green King IPA would be 74p and the Abba Ale would be 78p and the Abba Ale's for connoisseurs or people who thought they'd be able to like handle it because it was strong on a young stomach. And I remember a terrible morning, you know, with all the kids in the rest, in the boarding house all laughing at me because I was like basically throwing up in a bucket all morning the next morning from, you know, five rushed pints of about <laughs> ale which is you know which is the the, the right stuff you know if you're in, if you're in a hurry but not not when you're 17 18 and you you're not really up to it and we would go drinking and that was a that was a pub with lots of different rooms so all the little cliques would go to their different rooms clearly the staff there they just didn't they they were never going to ask we could simply go in there and drink and no one ever batted an eyelid and the different there were other pubs there was the commercial tavern which was a Jamaican pub in uh, Bedford that the sort of the really hit people would go to, and I was never I never summoned up the call to go there. And then a wine bar called Spiros where they where where they would do like hummus in like 1985, which is like <laughs> science fiction, basically. <laughs> Bedford's a good town for pubs. Do you ever go to the Wellington? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it it's not it's not bad, but it was particularly good town for underage drinking. Um, uh, uh, And then I remember a friend of mine took the rugby team all in their like in their finery because they used to get to wear special blazers. He took them to a pub and and they got busted properly, police and everything, because some of them were 16 and obviously kids in in school uniform, for heaven's sake. (laughs) (laughs) And And they got they got busted before they went to the rugby dinner. So but it was a but it was a pub with it was a pub with barrels barrels for t- you know those round barrels for tables or copper top tables with a hammered effect you know like that kind of pr- proper englishy oldy you know vibe when i go to bedford i always go back there if i play bedford i always make sure i meet my my old bedford friends who come out and we go and dr- we go and sit in the in the ship with our children usually and say ha ha you know this is where we used to drink underage no you're having a coke <laughs> <laughs> that's a real formative Place for me, drinking experience. Place for me, and the doors had those latches, like on a barn latch. The doors between the two sides of the sides of the pub. So you'd hear the clatter of the latch, and someone else would come in, and you'd all look round. It was lo- lovely, lovely that pub, and where I acquired a taste for pork scratching. I've got a feeling I might have done a gig in the ship. I've definitely been to the ship with my brother. Maybe. I mean, I didn't. I. I mean, if there's a gig there, it's not one I know about. Um, it's got four stars if you if you look it up, you know, and uh, they've probably still got the Abbot Ale. When you
2: imagine your dream pub,
1: what are the sort
2: of trappings, the style, the seats? What, what does the interior look like
1: when you walk into it in your mind? It isn't new. The most important thing is it looks like a habitat, like an inhabited place, that it's like that there's worn carpet, that there is a sticky floor if there's a pool table or a table, football table, maybe even, that they're worn, they're, they're used, they're familiar. It's a familiar place that, that has familiar footprints in it. And I like the 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 idea of, you know, photographs of regulars. The coaching horses in Soho I really love because there's all those pictures of Tom Baker drinking in there. And, and, and I mean, you'll know this, John, our lives are too peripatetic really to, to settle down on one pub that you go in five <laughs> nights a week. Where they would end up taking a picture of you, and there would be your tankard after you died next to your picture, but that that feels like an aspiration, um, and I've never managed. Remember, never managed to make that happen because life is life ain't like that, unfortunately. But yeah, it would it would it would have photos of regulars. It would have a combination of multinational staff working in it. You know, used to all, London used to all be Australian bar staff, so unfailingly, and it was that was. Always that was always lovely, you know. It made you think that, gosh, Australia must be a great place, they're so hospitable. <laughs> 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 and and then, you know, there's a pub near near me, the Black Lion, which is right on the river um, in Hammersmith. And a friend of mine lives literally opposite it, which meant that during the pandemic, and that they're amazing Polish people who run that place, so fantastic. During the pandemic, they, they did. Because they were they were running a bar in their garden and, and so the river was on a Friday night would just be absolutely round with people getting drunk and and basically, uh, you know, pissing on the towpath and all this sort of stuff. And the council would go, you need to do something about this. And he'd say, well, you need to do something about this. He dealt with the residents by bringing them all Sunday lunch every Sunday. And, and <laughs> nice. so that kind of community and service and uh, but also wanting people to, you know, the basic thing of they want you to be bar staff who want you to be happy i think (laughs) rather than regard you as this colossal inconvenience that would be the that would be the vibe and the but but it would be it would be you know not old school furniture we don't do that we want proper recognizable bar furniture in the style of bar furniture maybe the odd like large leather plush leather couch pub furniture not you know uh make made over pub furniture like that looks like old pews and that sort of nonsense yeah pews in churches are meant to be uncomfortable so that you pay attention to the sermon and the praying i don't want to be uncomfortable in a pub so i don't want to sit in a pew it's as simple as that i'm not there to be sermonized to i'm there to luxuriate
2: you don't want to feel that everything you're looking at was bought in the same auction
1: no <laughs> or from the same like place that produces the same stuff yeah to look like it's from an auction. Exactly.
2: Oh, wonderful. A habitat. An inhabited place. Yeah. Warm, used and familiar. But also,
1: I, I
3: like that idea it's kind of curated as well. We were talking a lot about music on a previous episode, I think. And uh, I was asking someone behind a bar "Look, they're playing really good music and I was asking, oh, you know did, did you put this on? And it was like, no, this is um like, trendy pub playlist one on Spotify. <laughs> so it's like this kind of fake curation thing.
1: Oh. <laughs> Oh, but uh, but that, that very often, though, you know, you can't let too much light in on the magic. If it was a good playlist, it was a good playlist. It doesn't matter where it came from, yeah. Exactly,
3: you know, yeah, it's true.
2: I wonder if there'll ever be an AI-generated pub <laughs> that just sort of, as you're approaching, it, it sort of knows your algorithms of what you're looking for.
1: Well, I suppose you put your glasses, your, your, your VR glasses on, and wherever you are, you're in the right pub, and then your mate opposite is in, is in a wine bar and someone else is in hooters i don't know you know like <laughs>
2: yeah you like you take them off and everything's just completely white
1: like well like the holodeck yeah. on the starship starship enterprise it's just <laughs> the grid behind you we were going to do that for my
3: dad one christmas because he never liked christmas day because the pubs were shut make a kind of vr headset <laughs> for him with pictures of the wellington and bristol it? we never got around to it yeah.
1: <laughs> The more we talked about it, the more kind of bleaker it sounds. never got, ra- never got round to it. It's the thing. Yeah. Oh, I haven't got round to that yet. Christmas Eve. Did you do the yeah. thing? Oh, Bob, no, I haven't got round to it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Hastily improvised.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
2: To
0: get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Well, let's get into some of your choices, Al. Uh, First off, we need two draft options from you.
1: The first one, and this is is really boring, but it's also like when this is right, it's the, the, the best thing ever, is draft Guinness. Yes, indeed. But it has to be Draft Guinness from Grogan's in Temple Bar in Dublin, which is on Castle Street in Dublin. Ooh. If ever I play Dublin, whenever I play Dublin, we build, me and my tour manager, Um, this wonderful fellow Adam, my one of my very best friends, we build in a travel day. You can't just go to Dublin the day of the gig and do the gig. You have to go the day before to make sure you get there. And that obviously means an early flight on the Saturday if the gig's on Sunday night. And then that means you know, convening at the pub maybe at noon and then leaving the pub when it closes. And the Guinness in there, there's just something about it. It's perfect. And it's probably the place as well and the sort of the vibe and everything. But just the Guinness from there, although there's also, there's a pub in Manchester, that the name of which has escaped me, where the Guinness is also absolutely fantastic, which is an Irish bar, self-consciously Irish-Irish bar. But yeah, the draft Guinness from Grogan's. Because it's the perfect session experience. Guinness just lined up. It's like a rally, a slow, an easy tennis rally where you a good Guinness is like a an easy forehand, and maybe the second one because it's arrived too soon is is a bit of a hasty backhand. But then there's another easy <laughs> forehand to come. In that place, they just keep coming. They've got them all laid out as they're pouring them at such a rate that you don't get the pint you asked for. You get the next pint on the production line and it just comes out absolutely perfect. And in there they have art by local artists that I've never seen anyone buy. It's got price tags on but it's, that's not the point. And a sort of you never know what time of day it is in there and everything. And the and the Guinness the Guinness is like the interface between you and the and the and the, and the psychedelic world in there. That's the perfect pint of Guinness in, in Grogan's. That wherever our pub is, this pub is, there's to be a pint line from there and they're pouring it and it's all it's all in a. It's all you know, dozens of pints ready to go, and those um, they do um, sort of toasties in plastic bags in there that they put in the microwave, and they just. God, I mean, everything about it. It just looks absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I c- I, to be honest, I cannot recommend it highly enough as a like as a place to while away a day. Mm. My wife, she goes, "Oh, I don't like Guinness. Ah, no," and and, and orders a half and sort of fusses over it, and w- while we're just like. Scooning through them, but but because Guinness is what four point one, and because it's low, it's actually a lower calorie drink than a, a cooking lager. You know, it, it's the it's the perfect sort of cruising beer. Just
3: sort of scooping it into yourself. Yeah, uh, Rob, have you ever been to Grogan's? No, I haven't actually. My favourite sort of central Dublin one is Cassidy's, which is near Whelan's the music venue. Yeah, I just had a really good night there. I think I was playing with Gravenhurst. We did the Ferry Crossing. This is the band I used to play in with Dave Collingwood and um, a mutual friend. And uh, yeah, we did the Ferry Crossing. I think we were a bit delayed. It was like the day before the gig. So we were just getting in and it was about nine. I was really worried we were going to miss the pubs. And as we were, we were driving to the hotel, I was just looking mournfully out of the window going, oh, there's a pub, there's a pub. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then like we did get into the hotel and then out in time. And it was like that that kind of... We we stumbled across Cassidy's, and it was just one of the best experiences, of, one of the best evenings of, of my life, I think, because it was just that you just get into that rhythm with the Guinness, like you're saying, Guinness tennis, Guinness tennis,
1: yeah, and you always win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's also there's a bar there's a bar in a place called Roundstone in Connemara, um, which I used to go on holiday to when I was a kid, and there's a bar there called O'Dowds. Where you sit by the peat fire, you eat your seafood chowder, and then you you play Guinness tennis, and it's just the most, you know, you end you into a a, a a present moment. You know, it's if you want mindfulness, go Guinness. It's, it's uh, in Ireland, I think. You know, the, the the pursuit of the existing present moment that we're supposed to sort of we're supposed to want, aren't we? You know what I mean.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's what you could, I mean, yeah,
1: that's that's all anyone's ever trying to do.
2: <laughs> yeah. Enter yeah. a present moment. What a, what a beguiling concept. Oh, man. What's your second choice? Uh, <laughs> well, my
1: second choice is I went to Moscow seven years ago. Obviously, no one's going there in any time soon. And uh, we, went, we had an amazing holiday there. And we went to the, um, because of my interest in the Second World War, I insisted we go to the Victory Park in Moscow where there is this absolutely amazing soviet era museum about the second world war which has a like tiny sort of allies corner really funny uh, meanwhile here's what the americans and the british were doing but they weren't it didn't really make any difference it's like an extraordinary and these gigantic murals and and the sort of there's a monument outside it that is supposed to be one centimetre for every minute of the Soviet Union's involvement in the Second World War or something. And that just feels like they built a really tall thing and then they had to reverse engineering excuse for the (laughs) (laughs) height. It feels really like arbitrary. But we had a lovely day there and it was a perfect July, summer's day in Moscow. You know, sort of 35 degrees, crisp blue sky, little white fluffy clouds. We'd gone past the tank park where the tanks were all off atomic ranges. So they're all really dangerous. You can't be in there for too long. You'll get, radiation off you and there was a concession in the victory park on the hill on the way down called Preval I looked it up I couldn't remember I had to look it up and we had a pint of whatever was on draft in Preval that afternoon that was a absolute desert island pint like you just the the, the first hit of it because sometimes with lagers it's the first hit is great and then you're halfway through and you think, what am I doing this for this is a complete waste of time you know, and, and like a bad book, you commit to finishing, getting to the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but this was just like everything about it. the, the, the We were on holiday, the sunshine, the Christmas of the beer, how cold it was, the sweat on the glass, the novelty of drinking a Russian lager that I didn't know what it was. Everything about it. So whatever that Victory Park beer was in Moscow, that on draft. You probably need a patch of sunshine coming in through the ceiling onto where you're serving that beer so that you can get the feeling of the sunshine on your face and the and the cool the absolute perfect hit there's another beer i had which i think was a pint of kingfisher in um in that that uh, uh, oh god what's that curry there's a curry house in Leeds that closed the one used to be on the corner by the railway line where they serve the the naan that looks like a sort of thing on a gallows like a dangling oh, it's yeah. like someone that's been skinned and hung on a <laughs> uh, on a on a spike, and they've it's it's not there anymore. But but one night got there just before they closed, and that was after a gig, and that was another. Everything about this pint is per- perfect, like the color, the feel in your hand, the the coldness of the glass, the exact coldness of the beer, the bubble, the top, the everything, all the way to the bottom of the glass. And and uh, you know, uh, we, me and this friend again, this friend of mine, Adam. We t- we have this sort of like. We talk about those pints. We talk about those pints. (laughs) John, are you you
2: okay? (laughs) Yeah, I think I might have just entered a present moment. (laughs) Robin, you're a big fan of those lagers. Mm. Those sort of lagers that sort of rise
3: on the horizon like the sun. They live long in the imagination. I think the hot day, it's that feeling of the coldness going down... Your neck and in down, you can feel it going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but Paulana, Paulana, the um, uh, hell's beer, you know, like um, yeah. I t- just before the pandemic, I took my middle daughter, Willow. We went to Hamburg for a like long weekend. Me and my girls, we've got this thing about going to Germany, my older girls. And so uh, we went to Hamburg and we went to see the darkness. And I went to the bar and bought her a pint of lager. She'd never, she was 18 or nearly 18. She'd never had a pint of lager before. She'd never seen the darkness before. Five minutes into the darkness with her page of lager. She was basically having the greatest night of her life ever. <laughs> the, the cold of the cold of the lager, the falsetto of Justin Hawkins, the the the, the, the absolute <laughs> impact of the band. She went, This is like queen but noisier. And I'm like, Yeah, well, yeah, there, there we kind of, there we kind of are. That for her became like that's what lager's all about. So we have some and it was all Paulana in, in Munich, in Hamburg. So we we I always have some in the fridge, and if she's over and she she wants to have a beer, we sit and have a beer together, and it's like, it's again, it's that thing of the that sunshine lager, that absolute ba thing on your tongue, you know. It's haunting stuff, it really Robin, How are you faring? <laughs> oh, good, good.
3: I mean, my my memory of that is I, I was in Granada, yeah, and it was, it was I think it was the hottest temperature i'd ever experienced before that incredible heat wave we had last year in in london in the uk where there was a bar that had um estrella but they were serving it with ice in it uh (laughs) which you know not not putting ice it it was so cold that the beer was almost frozen the glasses were totally frosty and i do look back on that memory with some some fondness It was really quite powerful stuff. So far, we have the
2: uh, entrance to the present moment, Guinness from Grogan's in Temple Bar, and the mysterious Preval Pint in Victory Park with a patch of sunshine. I mean, two superb stories, two superb evocations of what a pint can do to the (laughs) soul, to the mind.
3: What's your favourite? Does it exist?
0: Pour
3: me an ale. Are pubs real? Pubs in the distance.
2: Shrouded in mist. Are pubs real? We must move on to your bottles and or cans, Al.
1: I mean, you, can, you know, you can keep your Madeline, can't you? You don't need a madeleine. It's a pint. Yeah. <laughs> no, Priest pre- said it wrong. Um, well, the what wines, there'd be two wines. There'd be, a, there'd be a red wine and a white wine. And the red wine is a toss-up between a Nerodavila from Sicily or a Spekbergundi. Um, which is which is like a German Pinot Noir, basically. What it comes down to in the end is that I really like saying German words out loud. Yeah. I'm <laughs> amused by it. So what I've ended up on is a sperbegundechtinger Eichet VDP Ostwein Weingutbecher, 2018, right? Just because I as much as I like moving wine around my mouth, I like moving German words around my mouth, I like the sound of German. It's like so beguiling. But I'm into that. The Nerodavila that I nearly picked is because during the pandemic, and, it, it, you know, booze became my, you know, my life raft, but certainly um, some of the air in the dinghy. And uh, <laughs> and uh, we very much, we, you know, I think, you know, entered that sort of deep time of the pandemic where you can't remember it starts where it ended, how you unpick the memories, which thing happened before, which other thing. But basically on this podcast, I do the the Second World War thing I do with James Holland. We're firm friends and he came out. We do a live cast every other Monday or, or we, we're doing them every Monday during the pandemic itself, where we'd sit down and we would talk about history, talk about the second world war and we'd have our, our our listeners come or viewers come on, our Patreons come on and ask us questions and banter. And, or we'd watch an episode of Banner Brothers and talk about it. Or we'd watch some old like uh, footage or talk about, get another historian. Anyway, one time, uh, it just worked out that he could come round and we sat in the garden, a beautiful sunny evening, and he brought two or maybe four, I don't know, bottles of Nerodavila with him because he'd just been in Sicily. It was, it was when there's that window where you could get away and come back. And he'd just finished a book about the war in Sicily and the invasion of Sicily and everything. So we sat and drank that and gone absolutely, like, totally wasted. Like a pair of teenagers, like in a park in the sunshine with the sun on the back and the people watching on the laptop which was rigged up in the garden and it was heaven, it was bliss the wine was completely, you know, the lube in that encounter like, um, <laughs> it made everything go that much more easily and I've got this really fantastic um, decanter that's like a horn thing that someone gave me it's like a glass horn with two ends with a skinny end and a fat end and you pour it and the wine glugs out of it so we just sat there drinking this stuff and so, yeah, Sicilian Nero D'Avola. But for me, it has to be the Speckburgunder because, as I said earlier, I took, I took Willow to uh, Hamburg just before, so 2020. But three years before that, I I took her and her sister to Berlin. And we had the most amazing weekend in Berlin with me dragging them around going, this is where the Reich Chancellery was. And this is where they burned the books in that famous footage. And let's go look at the wall and I did all the history stuff. And in the evening, I would eat a schnitzel with a Wiener schnitzel with chips and drink a whole bottle of spätburgunder to myself because they're both vegan. And when, when the youngest wasn't drinking, the eldest was like going, I don't like wine, dad, because she's being like, she was having to rebuff her father's, you know, tastes and stuff. She was she was 16. She's doing her job. And so I would sit there and drink this whole bottle and I and it was like a blissful weekend. So spätburgunder for me because it's a nice light German red and German wines, I think we're not across really. Before the First World War, we imported all our wine from Germany or most of it. Like, and then of course it became unfashionable for reasons. And I read, really, I absolutely, Rhineland wine is is, is incredible. So Speckbergunder, like a yachtinger Eckert VDP Ostfein, vine Becker.
3: Hard to order in a
1: noisy bar, I imagine. Oh no, you, 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 you do know, your like, commanding German advice. <laughs> I'm spit like that, and they, you know, they'll, they'll bring you the wine. <laughs> Lots of money
2: to be made uh, selling the paper for labels. <laughs> in, uh...
3: <laughs> think of the
1: ink! Think of the ink! <laughs> and what would be the white wine? I work with a, a one of my really great friends is a, a, a film director a, a, and TV director and everything, and he's a total wenophile, and. He has all these friends who produce natural wine and make natural wines and stuff. And he's sort of plugged into the natural wine circuit. And a couple of weeks ago, came around for dinner and he brought with him a thing called a Progetto Calcareus, which is a white wine from Puglia that's all dirty and organic, right? And, it, and I don't know if you're familiar with the orange wine thing where they let, leave the skins on and the wine, the, the, the wine ends up dirty and strange and everything. And it comes with like a bottle top, like a beer bottle, so it's not uh, like a convent. You don't pop a cork. It's not a screw top. Once you pop the beer bottle lid off, you're gonna have to drink the whole thing. And it's got it's got sort of particles and sediment in it, and color and tone. But it's absolutely it's just absolutely fantastic. You have none of the sterility of like modern produced wine, where what they're re- obviously really worried about is letting the notes hit you. So like a like a dry white wine where they've done everything they can to make it dry so it's you know, and, and best served cold and all this sort of thing. Could
3: you give us a musical analogy here for the for the natural wine?
1: Oh, um well, I mean the, the it's someone playing the blues on a four-string guitar.
3: Right, nice.
1: Yeah.
3: Your, your C six Steve kind of
1: Exactly, exactly. It's not polished necessarily, <laughs> yeah. but all the note it's all the right notes and the tone is is uh paramount. And and he, he brought, he brought around three bottles. He brought around the, the Progetto Calcareus. I mean, I've, I've got that, I've got that wine app for, um, wankers. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, you take the picture. So he brought around that and he brought around another one, which is the new leech orange, which is again, again, a Progetto Calcareous wine. And that's an orange wine. So they leave the skins on and you get the color of the skin and, and the, uh, you know, stuff from the, from the, from the grape in the bottle. And it's just, it's just fantastic. and, he always brings his wines around and goes, don't worry, drink this, no hangover, Ha like that. And then obviously you drink four of them <laughs> and, and there is a hangover. And there's no way of judging how much worse the hangover would be had you drunk four, you know, supermarket bottles or decent bottles of, you know, standard bottles of wine. But yeah, it's that stuff. I really love these dirty wines. It's a thing I've, I've got into in the last sort of... It have been working with him about four years, in the last sort of four years, and he's always like saying, no, 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 you don't want that. Go, go this way. Try that. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I love basically any wine, but but this is the... <laughs> <laughs> this is I think this is the way to go, you know, these sort of organic things.
2: So we've got the Spettbegunder, the German Pinot Noir, and the Progetto Calcareous New Liter
1: Bianco. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 and it's not expensive. It's just like it's it, particularly, it's just it's 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 completely its own thing. And I think there's something really there's something really exciting about that. You know, like finding a wine where oh wow, well, you know, I'd, I've never encountered anything like this, and it's great. And
2: oh, the labels are quite cool. They look like sort of periodic yeah. table yeah, squares. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. Al, I actually need to sort of mop my brow and maybe sit on a fainting chair or something Um, I need to step out of the present moment.
1: Well we've got a fainting chair in the
2: snug (laughs) Uh, So we're going to hand over to the lovely Robin Allender for this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz
3: Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz Played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Thanks, John. This week it's a pub quiz in 178 time with an extended drum solo and a gatefold sleeve because we're talk abouting prog rock. Oh, so Al, you're a big prog rock fan, aren't you? cool so in today's quiz i'm going to read three sets of lyrics not the whole song but bits of lyrics from the three titans of prog rock in my opinion king crimson yes and genesis concur really you can concur yeah oh great that's good uh bill bruford drummed for all three of those bands fun fact so basically you got three bands all you have to do is match the lyrics to one of the bands does that make sense yeah cool uh so john how do you how do your prog rock's probably not your strong point no i'm
2: it's so weird because it's so me yeah you know i like queen especially like early queen i like meatloaf i like Zappa. i mean you're so adjacent i like zapper yeah yeah but i just never
3: quite
2: got prog rock but i'm i'm I couldn't name you a single yes song but I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to have a go. <laughs> cool.
3: Great. Well, here we go. First one, this is question 1. A carved oak table tells a tale of times when kings and queens sipped wine from goblets' gold and the brave would lead their ladies from out of the room to arbor's cool. <laughs> A lovely lyric. A lovely lyric there. <laughs> like, musically it's so interesting. Lyrically it's so ridiculous. But I think that's what's good about it. It's almost like it's it's nerdiness. It's six form, obsessive common room getting into this kind of obsessive subject. That's what I love about it. Um, here's here's uh, question two. And if God is dead, what am I? A fleck of dirt on the wing of a fly, hurtling to earth through a hole in the sky. And if Warhol's a genius, what am I? A speck of lint on the penis of an alien, buried in gelatin beneath the sands of Venus. (laughs) And question three is battleships confide in me and tell me where you are shining flying purple wolfhound show me where you are lost in summer morning winter travel very far lost in musing circumstances that's just where you are so
1: there we go Uh, three out of three here (laughs) really that's good stuff i can even tell you the tracks (laughs) nice
3: what were the bands again rob (laughs) That, so, yeah, <laughs> you've got Gen- Genesis, yes, and King Crimson. Okay, cool.
2: Um, I think we're going to definitely go to Al first for the answers to that. <laughs> Folks, it's been a delight to chat to Al about the first uh, choices of his dream pub. Do check out the Spitting Image musical. We're going to talk about, more about that in the second half, but Al has created over 100 monsters which are going to burst forth into the West End. Um, so... We'll ask Al about bringing those puppets to life in the second section, and we will also relieve you of those prog tenter hooks when you come back. So we will see you in part two.